0: We are continuing our exposition of the Word of God, and we are in First Peter. I want to read First Peter chapter three, verses one through six. <clears throat> in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not merely be external, braiding the hair and wearing gold, jewelry, or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy woman also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves by being submissive to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Let's pray. Our Father in God, again, we thank you and praise you for answers to prayer, seeing folks that you have brought through some very serious surgeries And to have them back worshiping with us together. We are delighted that you do listen. We can come boldly before the throne of grace. We do continue to pray for those who are sick and ill and unable to be with us this morning. Those that are still away visiting relatives because of the holidays. And Father, we want to pray and ask that as we meet here to study the word of God. And we are reminded as we have been all morning of the cost of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray and ask that as we get into practical matters that you'd help us to have an open heart and attentive ears that the Spirit of God would use the Word of God in each one of our lives to better understand it and you so that we might walk in a way that's pleasing in your sight. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. Because of the holidays, we have been out of the text of 1 Peter a little bit. And uh, I want to go back just a bit this morning. You know, since man has been in the face of the earth, man has wondered, and still many are still wondering today, is there more to life? Is there more to just living in this world? Is there any relationship with God possible? And uh, how can that be? And in the Old Testament, they were looking forward because God promised a deliverer, that which we just celebrated a Messiah, uh, the Christ, who would come because all men are sinners and have come short of the glory of God, and we are all sinners, and that is mankind, that God made the provision himself, and as Chris referred to it in Romans, it is clear in New Testament and Old Testament that it is the gift of God. Salvation was provided by God himself in sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who not only bore the penalty and price of sin, which is death, and satisfied the righteousness of God, but rose from the dead. So that by faith in him, as he confirmed it when he came on the scene, and what we just celebrated in Christmas time, as he came on the scene and word was made flesh, and God was with us, he declared that he is the Messiah of God and the Savior of the world and the only one. And in the day of Peter, as he's writing, He is writing to believers, those who have had faith in Jesus Christ, who are being persecuted, who are not being accepted by society in general. And that is pretty much today, by the way. Christianity is not popular at all. Even in this country, at one time it was, but it's becoming less and less popular. And so Peter, in writing... Uh, just uh, quickly scan it, in the very first chapter, in encouraging believers told them that they are citizens of heaven with an eternal inheritance. In chapter 1, beginning of verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he went on to say, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you. And so he reminded those who were under persecution that they have a tremendous eternal inheritance and that they are citizens of heaven. However, he realized, and they knew it by experience, and so do we, that they were still pilgrims. They were living in this world. They had to go along in society, make a living, and survive. And in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, he says, Behold, I urge you as aliens and strangers... He saw them as heavenly citizens, but they were living here, and it isn't like science fiction that we see on TV when it talks about aliens. He, the true aliens, those true strangers, or true pilgrims, are those who have trusted in Christ, who have this heavenly inheritance. And he says, Abstain from fleshly lust that wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, They may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So he basically has started them off by saying, you have a citizenship in heaven, you belong to God, but you are living in this world and you are to reflect the life of Christ by good works, by that which others can see in this pilgrimage. However, what are the specifics? That's fine to give the generality that we live to live for God and be a testimony are there any specifics? And then beginning in chapter 2, verse 13, he began to specifically deal with some areas of life as we are in this world so we can relate to the world we live in. The first one he dealt with is civil government or civil authority. And we spent time in that passage in chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. But the bottom line came out in verse, one, uh, verse 13, right at the very first word, Submit yourselves. For the Lord's sake. So what he said to them is in relationship to civil governments, we ought to place ourselves under whatever authority God has allowed to be over us because he has allowed them to be there. We have a responsibility to be law-abiding citizens. He then moved into the realm of domestic environment, and that began in verse 18, and we explained that to you. When he talked about slaves, and we talked about what slaves were in that culture and in that time, and a little bit about slavery, but he was dealing with the domestic slave, that which was managing the household here, and the instruction was the same. Verse 18, servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. And so even in (coughs) that domestic relationship, the idea was that the slaves were to put themselves under that leadership, and he went on to give Jesus Christ as the model. He began to say that in verse 21. He says, you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. So the Lord Jesus Christ, who was equal with the Father, he did not lose that equality. He willingly submitted to the Father's will, which included abuse, as he goes on in verses 22 forward, abuse and rejection, and ultimately the cross of Calvary, to show us how to do it and to encourage us that we, even in the most difficult of circumstances, can live for the glory of God when we obey him. So the summary of that was basically that we ought to have a humble life that's pleasing to the Lord, and even as I gave a message last week in relationship to the new year, we talked about that we ought to be seeking above everything else to be pleasing to God in all that we do. So he now moves into chapter 3, and he's going to go into the area of husbands, In wives. He's still in the area of domestic responsibility. And he is going to deal with the wives first. So, husbands, do not turn off your ears. Do not go to sleep on me. Some of you are there already, but wake up and same thing with the wives. Why? I think it's very important today in our society in 2015 that we understand God's perspective. I don't I think there's often Uh, still much confusion even in the area of husband and wife relationship. In fact, in the bulletin, I don't know if you noticed, we always have birthdays and anniversaries and today you will see in the bulletin uh, uh, Becky, uh, uh, Rebecca Cooper. Not yet, but this afternoon uh, uh, Eric Cooper and and Rebecca Schley will be married and Chris and I will be there involved in that wedding. That will be this afternoon, so she will be Involved, and so we'll be involved in a wedding today. But let me give you some background, first of all, to the culture. It's important to understand the environment, again, even in this area that Peter is talking to. It is not like the United States of America. That is not the condition that was existing at the time that, first of all, Peter was talking. We need to understand that when he was talking in this day and age, women, First of all, were involved mostly in arranged marriages. They didn't pick and choose for the most part. Their marriages were arranged, and they basically got the husband that was arranged by family affairs. They were also treated with little value. In the day and age that Peter was writing, women were looked down as almost second-class citizens. They were treated with very little value. In fact, if you go and study at that period of time, the husband was looked at as the master of his home, and he had the power of life and death in that home. You need to understand that. That's a reality, that back then, the husband had the power over his slaves over his wife, and over his children. And simply at his spoken word, they could be put to death. That was the society that Peter was speaking in. Most of the women stayed at home. Some of them were very virtuous, like is spoken of in Proverbs, and did a lot outside of the home. But they basically took care of the family, and they were stay-at-home moms. They had very few friends of their own. That was in that society that was not spoken of. They didn't have their own friends. They might have met at the well and certain things like that, but they did not. And when it came to religion, when it came to the gods, quote unquote, the women basically accepted the religion and the gods of their husband. That's the way it was understood in the home that basically. If the husband followed after certain gods, the woman just went along with that for the most part. Uh, they were not part of the educational system for the most part, and they were certainly not to be involved in the politics of the day. And so that was the culture in which Peter was speaking at. And to understand that is important because with that cultural environment around, the gospel of Jesus Christ came on the scene And salvation was preached where Christ was found to be the savior of the world. And salvation was in Christ and Christ alone. That is still the same message today. But in that gospel message was also that there was no distinction between master and slave. There was no distinction between male and female. And what would happen, which is not uncommon today this is also true, is many times the women responded to the gospel, not the men. And back in the day that Paul is preaching, you had women with that cultural, and that is just a real synopsis of it, living in that culture, and they had come to trust in Christ. The women were saved, and they had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and many of their husbands had not come to Christ. They were still pagans. They did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were not even interested in the things of Christianity. In fact, Christianity, as you know under Rome, was viewed as radical. It was viewed as rebellion. It was uh, viewed as even cultic when they talked about Christianity. And uh, society, both religiously, politically, economically, socially, all of those conditions was really Turned upside down. So, you had a situation where wives were coming to trust in Christ. Now, what are they to do? They had this environment that they were living in. They've trusted in Christ. How are they to act? How are they to live as heavenly citizens while on this earth? Well, before I get into the detail of the passage, I also want to make some other things that I think need to be heard very clear this morning. I want to give you some clarification on the scriptures. Number one, in God's eyes, plan, and instruction, men and women are equal. God clearly teaches that in a number of ways. First of all, in creation. In creation, or in our personhood, we are equal. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27... The scriptures clearly teach that God created man in his image and likeness. He created them male and female. He created both man and woman in the likeness of God. It is total equality as a person in the eyes of God. Men have messed that up over the years and still do today. But the reality is the scriptures teach equality in creation. Secondly, it teaches you, we should turn to this one. Keep your finger in First Peter. Go with me to Galatians chapter 3. The scriptures clearly teach equality in access to salvation. In access to salvation. Galatians chapter 3. Now, this has been also abused, this particular passage. But you need to understand that this is what it teaches. As far as access to creation uh, to salvation, verse twenty-eight of chapter three of Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That is clearly teaching that a believer in Christ. Is equal. Doesn't matter whether you're male. Doesn't matter whether you're female. Doesn't matter whether you're slave. Doesn't matter whether you're master. Doesn't matter whether you're Greek. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew. Makes no difference in the eyes of God when it comes to salvation. <clears throat> it is absolutely equal. Men are not better than women. Women are not better than men or anything like that. Also, we see in our passage in 1 Peter chapter 3, though it is next week's message, I want you to see that men and women are equal in their destiny in Christ. In chapter 3, look at verse 7 for a minute. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. So that your prayers will not be hindered. And we'll talk about that next week. But you want you to see right away, fellow heirs of the grace of life. So we're equal in creation. We are absolutely equal in salvation. We are absolutely equal in our destiny uh, that God has planned. And we are also equal even in marital rights. That one needs to be heard by everybody today. I will read it to you, you don't need to turn there, but for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, no matter what the world is preaching, here's what the scriptures say. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. There is equality there, even when there's a marriage. When you come together, basically you are giving yourself totally to that other person. And so that needs to be understood. The scriptures clearly talk about equality on that level. And we need to understand that before we go any further. It also should have been obvious to you already, unlike our world is thinking today, and by the way, there are still societies, unfortunately, today that treat the woman in very disrespectful ways and like they're subservient in a way that they are just like a slave. The scriptures do not teach that. But also it does teach this, distinction. Clearly, I don't care what our society is talking about today. The scriptures clearly talk about gender. He created them male and female. That is the way it is, folks. Folks. By God's design, He has created male and female. And that is His plan. And in physical function, we can see it not only in the scriptures, going all the way back to Genesis, but you can see it. It's so obvious today. I watched a program, I've shared that with a couple of people a few weeks ago. And in that program, they had a doctor on. It was a woman. And she had a son. And her son, I witnessed it right there on the TV. Asked her, asked his mother whether he was a boy or a girl. And this doctor turned around and said, whatever you want to be today is what you are. That's a true story. Listen, the scriptures make distinction between male and female. And you don't need to be a genius to figure it out. I don't need a PhD or a doctor of anything else. The scriptures said, men will labor in the fields and toil and it'll be against him and women will labor and bear children. And to this day, the women are bearing children. There is a distinction. In fact, I just saw someone that's getting ready to deliver a baby just walk in from the nursery, probably ready to go. Okay, but that's true. In our roles then, what was the design? The women were to be a helpmate, a complement, and by design, God had a design that the husband would be the leader in the home. So the scripture treats women with dignity and on equality and not like some of the cultures do today and unfortunately sometimes even in the United States of America and unfortunately sometimes even in the Christian home. There is equality and with dignity we are to treat women that way. But there are some distinctions that God has given and it won't be that difficult to understand. In our text we see it. It starts off by saying, in the same way. Look at it. In the same way. What do you mean, in the same way? First of all, he's just talked about slaves in the domestic environment. Verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters. And then gave the example as the Lord Jesus Christ being the model of that. In civil authorities, we saw that also in verse 13. So in the same way as the slaves were, So if we understand what has already been taught from this pulpit and what has been taught in the word of God, what it means to submit in verse 13, it doesn't mean that the government was godly. It doesn't mean that it was the best. It doesn't mean that the servant was under a master who was not abusive. It doesn't mean that the servant was not at an equal level with the the master at all, but in relationship to what? their position only. So in the same way, then we will understand this has to do with role, not equality. Our societies confuse that today. They think anytime you're talking role, I can do anything that a man can do, a man can do anything that a woman can do. I cannot have a baby. I can be involved in the process, but I will not deliver a baby. Not unless somebody else tries to intervene and mess everything up. But it won't happen naturally. It has to do with role. It has to do with the function in the family. Just like on a job. We gave the application when we were talking about servants. On a job, there needs to be somebody who's involved in the leadership of that. There needs to be others who take different positions. And we all experience that in our jobs. And there, there are roles to take place. That is the same way that it is dealing with here. It is not dealing with less equal, it is not dealing with uh, less dignity at all. It is simply dealing with it the same way it did with the slaves and the same way it did with civil government. It is dealing with it in the position of roles and function only. And what action? It is a present participle, and they are clearly to what? Be submissive. To be submissive. That is the role that the wife is to have. What is that? Let me remind you. It is simply to rank yourself under that person's authority. That's all it is. That that person does have the authority as the leader in the home. And I want you to notice this. It says, to your own husbands, not to somebody else's. To your own husband. That is the responsibility. Why? It's talking about the home. Why is that significant? Here's another reason I believe it's significant. He is not saying women are subjective to all men in all circumstances in general. That's not what it's teaching. But people take it that way. They go to this role and they say, that's it, every woman should be submissive to every man. That's not what it says. For the home to function properly, the husband's supposed to be taking the leadership that he should be taking, and we're going to deal with that, even in the eyes of God and should be loving his wife, and we're going to deal with that. And then the woman should be willing to, because they are one, and she is the complement to submit to that leadership, to recognize that God-given leadership that's in the home and understand that this is not talking about work. This is not talking about general society. This is talking about how she is to behave in the home. This by no means implies that the woman is less uh, intellectual because in many cases the women are smarter than the men. It is no way talking about them spiritually, morally, and presenting them as some inferior being at all because women are not and wives are not. It is simply dealing with a function so that the home will function properly. That's all. And what it says is the woman's role is to be submissive to her own husband. Now, I want you to see this because people have said, well, and that's very common today. Listen carefully. Don't turn me off here. It is very common to say, well, that is cultural. In fact, I'm glad Pastor Dan went back to the culture because that was the culture that existed. And this instruction that Peter was given was only cultural. No, it is not. It is for all time. You say, how do you know that? Well, for several reasons. First of all, going all the way back to the book of Genesis. Even in the fall, it says that the woman is to be submissive and talks about that role under the leadership of the husband. Secondly, we see it in Peter that he's talking about the husband's role, but go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where we just were a moment ago for communion. But I want you to understand, verse 3, watch. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of every woman, and God is the head of Christ. All that is talking about is function. Is not, according to Philippians, Jesus Christ and The Father won? Yes. Isn't it according to the book of John? Yes. However, the Lord Jesus Christ willingly submitted to the will of the Father, going all the way to the cross. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but submitted himself even to the role of the servant, even to the death of the cross, because it was the Father's will. And if you look at Ephesians chapter 5, let's turn there. That was the response, not the response of reading, but the opening passage this morning. I want you to see that this is God's design, not culture. It is God's design. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. There it is again. As to the Lord. Why? Here's the reason. He doesn't say because that's the culture Of the day that Peter's talking about. Or in this case Paul. He says for the husband is the head of the wife. As comparative language. As Christ also is the head of the church. Is Christ the head of the church? Yes. Am I to submit as a pastor to the head of the church? Yes. Why? That is his role not mine. And as that is true. His comparison has nothing to do with culture. It says, is the same way, he himself being the savior of the body. And then he goes on to talk about the, this is a mystery, the whole relationship of the husband and wife, by the time you get down to verse 32, that it's a representation of Christ. So if we're a representation of Christ, and we will be saying that at the wedding this afternoon, if every marriage is a representation, then for the woman to understand her role, she needs to understand that I am equal as a person, I may be smarter and more intellectual. I may be even morally better than my husband, but in that particular role, I am supposed to be the helpmate to my husband. And in today's day and age, you probably chose your husband. you didn't, wasn't arranged for you. And I am under God's eyes to submit to that leadership. And you say, but I don't like that role. Your issue is not with me. And that's what society is saying. I don't like that role, and I'm going to do away with it, And that's the way it is. Well, you'll answer to God because that is his design. And it's not again, and we will see that next week, it's not that a husband is to push his wife down because that is not the case at all. In fact, you better be careful how you treat your wife because there's going to be a greater responsibility on you men and on me because they come first. Only one in front of them is God. God. Not you, not your sports, not your interests, not your hobbies, and not your children. And we'll get to that next week. But we ought to see that the wise responsibility is to submit, to submit to that leadership. That is also true, by the way, I'm not going to get into it this morning, in the church. Because you say, well, Pastor Dan, you said it wasn't all society. It's not. It's got nothing to do with work. It's got nothing to do with society. It's got nothing to do with me walking down the street and a woman talks to me and I turn around and say, hey, you better listen to me. I'm over you. No, I'm not. We're equal. We're equal. And so is my wife, equal to me. But for the function in the home and because of God's design, she has a responsibility to submit to my leadership and to follow that leadership. And it also deals with that in the church. And what is the purpose of her submitting? He tells you. In chapter 3, verse 1, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they were unsaved. In many cases, and let me tell you this, that is true today. And I know it's also true in this church. There are many situations in which there are women who have come to Christ and their husbands don't know the Lord, want nothing to do with the Lord, want nothing to do with the Bible, want nothing to do with church. And what are they to do? How are they to live for Christ? This is practical. The way you live for Christ is be submissive to that leadership. And do what? He goes beyond that. The purpose is to win them to Christ. And let me say this to you, because the scriptures deal with it, and I'll give you a reference, you can look it up. This is no excuse for a woman to turn around and say, I want out of this marriage because he's unsaved. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is very clear. If you're married, in God's eyes, you are married. You come to know Christ, that is no reason to get out of the marriage. In fact, the scriptures are very clear that he says, if your unsaved husband desires to stay with you, you stay with them." Why? In 1 Corinthians 7, it goes on to tell you, because that marriage and your children are sanctified. They are set apart by God because of your testimony. God is using you as a testimony and a witness to them of their unsaved condition. So how do you win them with Christ? Not the way many women sometimes try to do it. What is it? Open wide and swallow. And they take the Bible and try to push it right down their husband's throat. No. How do you win the unsaved? Look what he says. That they may be won without a word. That is tough. Then we make all kinds of jokes about women talking. We do. Let's be honest about it. You know, and and someone said to me when there was silence in heaven, there were no women in that particular role. (laughs) I don't, you know, that's kind of a joke on the side. But it's very seriously. You know, women may like to talk. There's some men that like to talk as well. Okay? But the bottom line is you don't browbeat your husband and, well, if you just would come to Christ, you wouldn't behave that way. You wouldn't go where you're going. You wouldn't do it if you just listen to me. What are you doing? You're not being a testimony before them. But the testimony of a wife is one who realizes I cannot pressure him into conversion. You know what? None of us can pressure anybody. That's one of the biggest problems with evangelicalism today. We put so much pressure on somebody and use so many words. You know, we walk up to, would you like to go to heaven? And, you know, of course they're going to turn around and say, no, I don't want to do that. Well, just do this. And then they don't want to do it, and then you try to pressure them on. Come on, come on, come on, come on. And what is a wife to do? Not behave that way. Simply let them see the life. For a wife to be submissive to a husband that doesn't know the Lord is very difficult. Very difficult. So what are they to do? This is the key. A, submissiveness, B, your character, verses 2 through 4. As they observe, what, your behavior. See, let them be one, how? By your behavior. How do you behave as a wife? Do you still treat your husband the way you should? Do you look to his leadership? Do you respect him? You say, I have no respect for my husband. Maybe you don't have a biblical perspective. Well, he doesn't obey the Lord. Neither did these men. Remember what we just learned about the servant? The servants were under a situation. Look at verse 18. Not only to those who were good and gentle, but to those who were unreasonable. There are many women who have unreasonable husbands. They they do. And what should they do? Win the husband by the behavior. There is nothing more of a testimony before an unsaved husband, ladies, than to see someone that come to Christ and you be more Christ-like in that home, and you treat your husband like he should be treated. In time, God will work through that testimony. How do you know that, Pastor Dan? Because he says so. He says, as ob- as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. And verse 3 has been confused by Christian ladies. Your adornment must not... And I like the word, it isn't in the original, but that is the implication, merely external. People think that women should not braid hair or put on jewelry or wear nice clothing. Are you kidding me? That is part of what is attractive to a man. It doesn't say don't do that. There are women that don't wear any makeup at all because they said the Bible doesn't want women to go wearing makeup or or getting into nice clothing or, or wearing jewelry. Not at all. But that isn't the only way you win your husband. Let him be the conduct. That's the whole point. You should be attractive to your husband, and it should be, excuse me, that way. So he uses three things, hair, jewelry, and clothing. The point is that proper value should be on the inner person, not just the outer person. In men, young men, that's what you should be looking for in a young lady. The quality of the person and what type of person. So when you do say I do, you understand. What type of person is it to be? Well, time is really getting away from me here. But, and it was interesting. I knew it was communion. I said to my wife, I don't know if I can get us all in. She said, make it two pot. I said, I will never make this two pot. This is the woman. If I do two pots and a woman and one pot of the men, I'm in trouble. So I won't do that to you. But, so allow me a little grace here. But what what are we saying? He goes on. Let me get to the the issue here. In verse 4 it says, but let it be the hidden person of the heart. What is that hidden person of the heart? The one that's obedient to Christ. The one that wants to honor Christ in all that she does. Who takes care of her husband. Who takes care of her children in a way that honors Christ. That will be noticed. Let me tell you, in our society in 2015, it is rare to find a woman that just wants to honor Christ and behave that way to her husband. Most just want to go out just like the guys and be involved in the world and could care less about their home. What type of spirit? He says, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. Gentleness is not a sign of meekness, uh, it's not, excuse me, not a sign of weakness. It is meekness. Listen. What the wife should have is that type of gentle spirit. And I I found something interesting in my study. I'll just give it to you quick. I won't turn you to the references. Maybe I'll give you them. But they're all in the book of Matthew. This word that's used here, gentle, is only used three other times in scripture. It's interesting. Twice, it's in reference to Jesus Christ. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You'll find rest for your souls. Why does he say? His burden is light, but he's meek. It's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew 21, verse 5, it refers to Jesus Christ as a meek person. And the only other time it's used is in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. The meek of the world. So what is a woman called to do? Have Christ-like character in your life. Was Jesus Christ weak? By no means. He was very strong. Was he different from the world? Absolutely. He pleased the Father at all times. And how did he win people over? By preaching the gospel? Yes. But by his behavior, by his actions, by what he did as he preached? And the bottom line is listen, let me put it to you this way as time's getting away from me. Ladies, your best evangelism that will attract an unsaved husband is your godly conduct in the home. It is what will attract others to the gospel who don't know Christ. It is of great worth. It is expensive. In fact, that's the word that's used here. When he says, which is precious in the sight of God, that is the word for the idea of great wealth or expensive. In God's eyes, what is very wealthy is to have a woman who is willing to submit to the leadership of her husband and has a meek spirit about her so that her inner character just wins him over to even the Lord Jesus Christ. What is it all centered around? Let me get right to it, verse 5. For in this way, former times, the holy woman also, what's the next four words? Who hoped in God. That's where your hope is to be. Wives, ladies, your hope is to be in God. Not fear of your husband, that's the end of verse 6, what it means by that, without being frightened by any fear. There are many women that are afraid of their husbands. And you know why? Because their husbands are ungodly. Because their husbands aren't who they should be. No question about it. But it says even in that, if your focus is on being a godly character who is out to please God in hope in God, just like the women of old, that will be a testimony before them. So what is it for a woman in a marriage? For a wife, what is the situation? Being submissive to your own husband. And men don't run with that like every woman's supposed to be submissive to you. Not so. That's instruction in the house. And the idea is through your spirit because you want to please God, if you have an ungodly husband, you have someone who's unsaved, don't be jamming the Bible down their throat. Let them see the Bible living in you. And when they see that, they will be attracted to your Savior. That is what is to stem from a relationship with God when you're a heavenly citizen as a wife, but you're living in this world with difficult circumstances. And there are many. My God, I thank God even in our church, that we have many women, we do, that have that meek spirit, that have that attitude of submissiveness to their husbands. Because in the world, you find very little of it. Very, very little. And women don't want to look at their role because they think that you're putting down their equality. Or they think you're putting down their education. Or you think you're you're minimizing what their capabilities are. No. No. Women can accomplish great things and have in the world and will continue to do so. This is dealing with the home. This is dealing with the godly home. This is dealing with godly instruction. And God's design is that the husband be the leader in the home and you submit to that leadership. And if it's difficult, that by your behavior, without browbeating him, you win him over to Christ. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for the many godly women that we have, even in this church. Father, I pray, first of all, you'd encourage each and every wife to see that in your eyes they are equal. Their inheritance is totally equal. Salvation is totally equal. There's nothing that should make them feel inferior whatsoever. But Father, that also you've given us roles in the home by your design as Christ is even the head of the church, and we are to submit to that leadership and to give way to you, and that, Father, we are to behave in a godly way. I pray that you'd help our wives, some of which are in very difficult marital relationships with unsaved spouses. Help them, Father, to seek to please you, to keep their eyes focused on you, and help them to have that meek and quiet spirit in the inner person. That, Father, they might behave in a way in which, not by browbeating, but without a word, by their behavior, might even win their husbands over to Christ. It's our desire that the women in this church who have unsaved spouses, that, Father, you might draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they might get saved. Thank you and praise you for this time. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.